the title of today's message is The Power. We're going to be continuing our study of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I got saved, I came into a Pentecostal church, and at that time, it was kind of a unique time in the church. It was 1993, and it was right before the major revivals in Brownsville and Toronto started. When I first started to follow Jesus, the church that I was attending was a fairly typical Assemblies of God church, except it wasn't quite Assemblies of God. It wasn't affiliated with the General Council, but we were Assemblies of God and everything else. All of our pastors were credentialed through the Assemblies of God. We had Royal Rangers, we had Missionettes, we had Spencer Lake, we, we did everything um, in accordance with the Assemblies of God. It's just that the leadership wanted to remain independent from a major fellowship so they can maintain a uh, certain level of freedom in the beliefs and practice of their church. Well, two years of going to that church, our pastor, who was a very respectable kind of conservative AG pastor, got revived at a camp meeting and started to lead us down a path of revival and freedom in the Holy Spirit. And then Father's Day 1995 happened, which was the start of the Brownsville revival. It's just the start of a, of a Holy Spirit outpouring where the Holy Spirit moved on hundreds of thousands of people all over the earth in, in a refreshing with their relationship with God, and, and thousands and thousands of people got saved. And all of a sudden, our church kind of rode that wave into this charismatic renewal where all the gifts of the Holy Spirit were being used and seen among us, and a lot of people were starting to come into the church and get saved. I was a new Christian at the time. I didn't know a lot of theology. I didn't know a lot of the Bible yet. I was still learning. I was just enjoying riding the wave and of the power and the joy that I was experiencing with everyone else. And it was so different from how I had been living before. Suddenly, I had a power to live for Jesus that I didn't have in my Christian walk before. And a power to stand up to, to unbelievers and a power to live for him in a holy way no matter what circumstance I found myself in. And this matches up with what Jesus said right before he ascended to heaven when he said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now that word for power in verse 8 is a Greek word dunamis. And the, Greek, and the translation of that, if you look at the Strong's Dictionary, says it is a, an abundant, miraculous power and ability. Making a person a worker of mighty deeds, one who exhibits power, a strength of violence and action when it comes to wonderful works. That's why I kind of made that sermon slide of somebody grabbing on to lightning, of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want you to remember this definition. We're going to be referring to it a little later in the message. But this is the kind of power that I had working in my life when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning as we continue our series in the Holy Spirit. 
Acts chapter 2 is a central verse that we all know and love when it comes to the Holy Spirit coming upon and falling upon people in power. So let's get into it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And Father, as we look into this pivotal moment in church history, what was probably a pivotal moment in most of our lives, receiving a baptism of the Holy Spirit, I ask, Father, that we learn and desire to be people of the power of God once again. Lord God, I ask, Father, that this just be a central focus in our life, to be filled with the Holy Spirit in every circumstance we find ourselves in in life. To show the world the power of God. Lord God, I ask, Father, that you touch us this morning and let your word go forth and accomplish the purpose for which you are sending it. Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. So this morning we're going to explore this thing called the baptism in or of the Holy Spirit. These terms are used somewhat interchangeably. We're going to look at the, what the Bible says about the timing of the baptism. We're going to look at its purpose. We're going to look at its evidence. So we're going to start out with the timing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When does it occur in the life of the new believer? Now, there are a few, a few Christian denominations that believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there are two main camps within that belief. Some people believe that the baptism is the initial evidence of salvation, especially when it comes to speaking in other tongues. For example, the church that uses our church building after we're done on Sunday would believe this. They're part of an apostolic movement. They view the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues to be a direct evidence of salvation. And if you haven't had that experience, you're not saved. That's how they believe. And you see that in you know, the apostolic, which they are, the Jesus, or the Jesus only, or oneness types of churches. They also don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not separate, but are all manifestations of the same entity that we call God. However, the belief that the Holy Spirit baptism is a requirement for salvation isn't really found in the Bible. And furthermore, that belief ignores John 20, 21, that says Jesus, after he rose from the dead, breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if they were receiving the Holy Spirit in, the, in what's being talked about in Acts, why didn't they speak in tongues? So we, we look at John 20, 21 as something a little bit different. And that's why we in the assemblies, we don't hold to that belief. We believe that the Holy Spirit's baptism is a separate event that occurs after salvation. 
I also hold to the Assembly of God view that says that the Holy Spirit is a birthright to every Christian who has ever lived. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our deposit, assuring us of salvation and the reward that we're going to get in heaven. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, that, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership upon us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now just to review, at Jesus' death and resurrection, God restored to all those who believed um, who, and chose to follow him that which Adam and Eve lost that connection to God through the Holy Spirit coming to live in us. And that's what is happening in John 20, 21, when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He was reconnecting the disciples with God because now he had paid the penalty for sin. We've talked a lot about that in the last couple of weeks. I don't want to talk a, a tremendous amount, but that is, that is what he was doing when he said to receive the Holy Spirit. That happens immediately upon our salvation. Our spirit is reconnected with God's spirit. That's why you'll see the tears. That's why you'll see such emotion at the altars. They're not necessarily being filled with the Holy Spirit, as you see in Acts chapter 2, but they're reconnecting with God's spirit. And Acts chapter 2 is something completely different than that. Let me illustrate the difference. When the kids were little, as kind of a benefit of being a paramedic and a firefighter, the Wilderness Resort would give you huge discounts to be able to go there. Everybody know the Wilderness in, in Wisconsin Dells? It's a huge water park. You go into a water park, Everything is trying to get you wet. You have sprays, you have splashes, you have slides, you have all kinds of things that are trying to get you wet. And they, they spray you with, you know, medium force, or you can go swimming in a pool, you can ride the late, lazy river. You can get pretty wet in that water park. That's kind of what John 20, 21 is talking about. You're in the park. You are going to get wet. You are connected with being the water through getting wet. But inside that same water park, there is the giant barrel dump. You stand underneath this giant barrel. It probably holds at least 1,000 gallons of water. And it fills slowly and slowly, and it starts to tip and tip and tip. And they have kind of a section on the floor you can stand. And all of a sudden, this thing tips over, and all of a sudden, thousands of gallons of water are hitting you and knocking you backwards. And you feel the full force of that water as it completely overwhelms you. That barrel dump is symbolic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You feel the overwhelming power of God coming upon you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why we view the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate event from salvation. Now, sometimes they occur simultaneously. Acts records 
In the early church, a few times it happened, and I've witnessed a person get saved and filled at the same time. But the salvation needs to come first before the Holy Spirit can come to live inside you. Now let's look at the purpose of the baptism. A few minutes ago, we talked about the Greek word for power that Jesus used to describe what would happen to us when the Holy Spirit would come upon us. And that word is dunamis, the root word for the English word dynamite. Something with explosive power that can just take out anything you want. And when I finally surrendered my life to Jesus and became a Christian, I was a little bit of a closet Christian at first. I didn't really want to tell a lot of people about it. Most people saw the change in me right away, especially when it came to quitting smoking and not cussing anymore. But I was really pretty shy about talking about Jesus. I would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not quite as crazy as those other guys. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a Christian, but I, I was just really shy about talking about it because I didn't really know anything. And that's kind of how I lived my life for the first several months as being a Christian. But then I volunteered at the church for a drama we were putting on called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. It's a, it's a, a big salvation presentation where you invite unsaved people to come and, and watch it, and they'll usually run to the altar and accept Christ. And before each night, there's a two-hour prayer service, and you were required to participate in the prayer service. And it was there I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was mentioning to the Sunday school, generally, John on his own is pretty reserved. I'm pretty sh actually pretty shy. I'm very introverted. At that time, I was deathly afraid of getting up in front of people and public speaking. Because I cared too much what people th thought of me. I, I would think, oh, they're not going to think, you know, they're going to think I'm an idiot or something. But all that changed when I got the baptism. It was like a boom. That dunamis power exploded in my spirit. And I walked out of that prayer meeting on fire. I think I, yeah, I did. I actually went, there's a, a youth pastor, Skip. He looked like he was under a lot of stress. I went and I preached at, at Skip that he needed to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He was a pastor in our church. I was, just, I was just on fire. I was just a little nuts. And after that night's performance was done, we all went to Taco Bell to, to have our meal. And I was going from table to table to table, boldly proclaiming the gospel, telling people they need to accept Jesus. When they wouldn't listen to me anymore, I went out in the drive-thru and started talking to the people in the cars. I talked to the people in the kitchen. I talked to the guy washing the dishes. I was just going crazy. I was talking to everybody about Jesus. I had this overwhelming need to tell everybody about Jesus. And again, this kind of matches up with what Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. That scripture became very real to me very fast. I was insatiable then in my reading of the Bible. I'd read anything, Christian apologetic books, anything having to do with Jesus. And I was reading it or experiencing it or traveling literally sometimes across the country to be a part of it. It was like, boom, that dunamis power, that dynamite exploded in my life. 
But that's not something that can just happen to me. That's something that can happen to every single person here. Let's talk about the evidence, and that's speaking in tongues. In verse 4, it said, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I've often wondered, I, I ask the Bible why a lot. It's actually part of a, developing a, a sermon. You ask the why question, the who, what, where, why, how. You ask these questions and, and try to, to build a sermon. And I said, why tongues, God? What, what's up with speaking in tongues? That just seems to be just such an odd way of, of showing people the, the power of God upon us. It led me to, it led me to study the, the word tongues for a little bit. The Greek word for tongues in both the description of the fire coming down and enveloping people and the words that were coming out of their mouth is glossa. Let's tackle the second use of that word first, the language part. Speaking in tongues has always been kind of a, a contention within the Christian church. Many older or mainstream churches, especially when this first started coming back around in 1901, were looking at the charismatic churches and accusing them of, of mixing things like voodoo and witchcraft into their, into their worship services because a lot of pagan religions do the same thing. We shouldn't be surprised that a pagan religion would do the same thing. The devil's always trying to counterfeit God. So we're looking at this, and we ask a couple questions. Why did God give us this gift of a spiritual language, and why is it important to the Christian today as an evidence of the Holy Spirit's baptism, and as a practice within our lives and our church. If you remember back to the book of Genesis, in the time immediately after the flood, the survivors were again told to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Well, they got two out of the three right. They were fruitful, they multiplied, and then decided to build a city and stay together. God saw what they were doing, probably gave a divine sigh, and as the Bible said, he went down and confused the languages of the people. That's why we all speak different languages today. All of a sudden, nobody could communicate with each other. They, they, they were all talking different languages, and they found other people who could understand and speak the same language, and they started to, to separate from each other because they couldn't understand each other, and then they separated and did what God wanted them to do, to go out and do the original intent and command of God. So back to Acts chapter 2 and answering the question, why give us the gift of tongues? Well, there's a verse in Zephaniah, which is in the Old Testament, that speaks to something that happens toward the end times. And in Zephaniah 3.9, it says, For then I will restore to the people a pure language, and they will call on the name of the Lord, and they will serve him in one accord. Why am I equating these two things together, the end times in Acts chapter 2? It's because the gift of tongues is being part of the Christian life and experience kind of died out after the first century. It, it stopped being part of the Christian church, especially after the Council of Nicaea. However, 
1901, it came back. The Pentecostal revival kicked off at Charles Parnham School in Wichita, Kansas, and it spread like wildfire across the continent, going to the, the Los Angeles revival and Azusa Street, and, and then just all over the place. And you say, well, why does that matter? Why does 1901 matter so much? I believe it's because God knew it was coming in the next 123 years till today. He knew we were about to face two world wars. He knew we were going to face a Great Depression, a Dust Bowl. And now we see a society falling away from anything having to do with Christianity. See, our Father knew we would need all the power we could get. So he brought back this gift of the Holy Spirit to us. Just like the original apostles and believers in Jesus, so that we would be able to stand against the tide and proclaim his name despite the world falling apart around us. He's giving us back the same power that Peter walked in, that Matthew walked in, that all the disciples walked in. He is giving us back that same power. Our Father wants us to be good and effective citizens of heaven. So it makes sense that we speak the language, amen? The second point of speaking in tongues is that the, it's the evidence of the new nature and a new heart. Jesus himself referenced this in Matthew 12.34 when he taught us that it's out of the overflow of the heart that, that the mouth speaks. And the gift of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in other tongues is the evidence that God has indeed done a heart transplant on us. It's the evidence of the new nature. It's the evidence of a new power motivating us in this life, that we're living the new life that he has given us. I mentioned in the past that immediately upon surrendering my heart to Jesus, God changed my heart. I used to cuss more than a drunken sailor. When I came back from the army for a while, my dad said I had a PhD in filthy language. And he was a sailor in the Navy. He said I was swearing so much he couldn't even listen to me. He yelled at me, he was just driving me home from the airport when I got back. But when Jesus touched me at salvation, it instantly changed. And it was the first evidence that people at work noticed about me the day after I got saved. Even the subjects of my conversations changed. Most of my favorite topics to talk about were not even fit for a strip club at closing time. But I felt a block, a newness in my spirit where I even want to talk about that kind of stuff anymore. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit a few months later, it supercharged my heart even more so and made me able to share the truth of the gospel much more efficiently. And the final point of the tongues of fire is this, is that it's personal. I've been, I mentioned a few moments ago that I used to travel around to different kinds of revivals, huge church meetings and all that. And I've been in a lot of them. 
I've been in church meetings where the Holy Spirit fell upon the room so much you couldn't even stand. All you could do is, is lay on the floor and just feel the weight of God upon you. And during those times, if you were able to even open your eyes and look up, you'd see other people in the room like this, looking like they're sucking on a lemon, not believing what's going on. And I would ask God, God, can't they feel you? God, can't they, don't they understand the power and the presence in the room? And that's when I really understood this verse, when it said that, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. It wasn't just a wave that fell down. It was a, a, a presence that fell and then separated and touched those people who wanted God. So you need to have a desire for the Holy Spirit, for him to come and want to be in your life. Sometimes I think we see the Holy Spirit as just an impersonal force or some sort of God energy that's sent, for the, sent from the Father. But it's important to remember the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person. He does not go where he is not welcome. You need to open your heart and let him in. God wants you to experience this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not only experience it just once in your life, but live in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen.